It is really good to be here with you, really good to see you here with us. Those of you who are online, we're glad that you've joined us as well. We are midstream in the middle of this series called The Certainty. It's a series that is so foundational that I've been very excited about it. I hope that it's been helpful to you. Last week, we talked about the kingdom of God, which is a central theme throughout the entire Bible, and although it's Structure is very important and helpful. Today is where we start getting into the practical side of understanding that because today we talk about the door. And when we're talking about the door, uh, we're describing the door to the kingdom of God. Now, it gets very confusing, as I mentioned last week, because Matthew, who is in a very Jewish way, trying not to take God's name in vain, takes the same concept and over and over again talks about the kingdom of heaven. So a lot of times people are thinking that the kingdom of heaven is something that we're all still waiting for and that we can't really know that we've entered in until we die. But we've discovered from last week, and we'll reiterate today, that you can know today whether you've entered in through the door. And once you've entered in through the door, you can be in the kingdom of God, which is a forever kingdom. So it's great, great news. And it's as important as you can get when we start talking about the door of the kingdom. And so we're going to be looking uh, mostly at Luke chapter 13 today to try to understand this concept of what does it take to enter into the kingdom through that door. Um, so before we get, jump into Luke 13, let's remind ourselves of the entire theme of Luke as well as his second work, the uh, the Acts, the Acts of the Apostles is how it's traditionally been called. I like to think of it as the Acts of the Holy Spirit through his church and the Apostles and the certainty that is found there. So in Luke chapter 1, verse 4, this is the phrase that uh, we're developing this series called The Certainty From, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. And so we're being instructed even today about the kingdom of God and that you don't have to wait and wonder whether at the door of judgment, whether you're going to go into heaven or be excluded from heaven because the kingdom of God is eternal and it begins in our lifetime. And you need to enter into that kingdom through the door. And so we're going to start with just the simple concept that point number one, the door is open. The door is open to you and the door is open to everyone. Now you might be wondering how I can assert such a bold statement, and so we're gonna jump outside of the book of Luke momentarily, but this is reiterated in many places throughout scripture, but let me just grab one. First Timothy chapter two, three through four reads this way. This is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved. So there's that key thought, God wants everyone to be saved. The invitation is out there to everyone, the door is open to everyone, but of course we know this, although God wants everyone to be saved, he also has foreknowledge 
And he knows that not everyone will be saved. You have to fit all of the scriptures together and try to understand how that works. Although it's his desire that everyone is saved, not everyone will be saved. Why? Because people will reject the door. They will decide not to enter in. And they will miss it. Some of them miss it because they're waiting for later and then it will become too late. If this isn't the door that we enter into after we die, the only opportunity to enter into this open door is while we are living. Because of this open door, that's great encouragement. What we just read here, that he wants everyone to be saved, is great encouragement. There's, I meet people all the time who says, you don't want me at church. You don't know what I've done. It's like, God wants you. God has the door open for you. He doesn't want you to miss it. He doesn't want you to miss him. He knows your past. He knows your sin. If you want him, he wants you. And it really doesn't matter what you've done. What Christ has done is big enough to forgive you. And you say, you don't know what I've done. Christ does. And his, what he's done is big enough for you as well. And he wants you. So it's very, very encouraging as we continue. Now, having said that, Jesus is very careful to say this door is narrow. This door is narrow. That's point number two. So the door is open and the door is narrow. Now we're jumping into Luke 13 and we're going to read here how the door is narrow. Starting at verse 22, he went through one town and village after another, teaching and making his way to Jerusalem. Lord, somebody asked him, are, you, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because I tell you, many will try to enter and won't be able. And so we have a little bit of a puzzle here for us, although it's open for all of us and desires all of us to go in. He says, it's not as easy as most people think, in that open invitation to go through this wide open door. Oops, I said the word wide. This narrow open door. So let's back it up to the question that led to Jesus' interesting answer, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. The question came up, are only a few people going to be saved? So why was this question Asked this way, and I'll tell you, um, there could be a number of reasons. It might be that Jesus' statements have been so hard in recent teachings that they're wondering, wait a minute, as you're teaching about this kingdom, which we all think of the messianic kingdom, you're making it sound so difficult that you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow you. There's, is there, are so few going to be saved? You have to put yourself into a Jewish mindset, which was filled with misunderstanding about the prophecies, which we went into last week. You might want to catch up on that and why those misunderstandings are there, they're expecting everyone in Judaism to be saved. And Jesus makes it clear over and over again by stringent teachings about the nature of his kingdom and about the nature of entrance into his kingdom that now there's this puzzlement that says, are only a few 
going to enter because that's just not what they're expecting. And yet what they're expecting is too small. They're expecting it only to be Judaism and Jesus is opening the door to the whole globe. And this is going to cause great controversy as his ministry continues forward. There is also a possibility, depending on who asks the question, it's almost sarcastic. You can't really be the Messiah. Look at how few are following you. Are only a few going to be saved? And the opposition is growing. And it seems like a, a line of division is there. Those who are pro-Jesus is Messiah and those who are no-Jesus is not Messiah are in this conflict and are only so few going to be saved as if to, just by the very nature of what you are calling your following, it becomes quite obvious that you are not the Messiah. That's a possibility too, depending on who it is that's asking this question. But Jesus does not bother to answer the question the way we would expect such questions to be answered. He says something that actually strikes against the normal thought processes of modern-day evangelicalism when he says, make every effort to enter, to enter through the door. We ask ourselves, wait, isn't it by faith we are saved? Not by effort, not by works. There's no way that we can enter into the kingdom of heaven through our own righteousness, our own works, our own efforts. And I must affirm that is true that we cannot enter in through works. And so many people are confused, thinking that the way through the door into the kingdom of heaven is by being religious and religious enough, by being righteous and being good enough to be accepted by God on our merits. And the New Testament is quite clear, our merits will never get us in because we are sinners and the kingdom of heaven is a place of perfection. So how do you enter in through this narrow door? But Jesus makes it quite clear. It's going to take some effort on our part. And we're going to have to work to enter through this narrow door. So this is very important to us. So let's revisit the roadmap to certainty that I keep bringing up over and over again in this series. First there is hearing. Then there's believing. Then there's living, then there's this certainty, this knowing. And so, even as we understand who Jesus is and what he's proclaiming himself as the king of this kingdom, and we come to believe in him, there's still another make every effort step before there's this uniting with Christ in his kingdom, and that's this business of living Affirming what Jesus says. Living as if what he says is true. Kind of a life of amening. Amen. Amen. What he says. And what he says is it takes effort. Amen. What he says is it's going to take something that's very difficult and so few will enter in. Amen. And I tell you, our American culture right now is not amening this concept. Our American culture, even within the church, is starting to slide into this tolerance thinking that the wide open door is for everyone. And Jesus says it's narrow. 
And the only way in is through this living, which proves you're believing. This living, which is trust, which proves that you're amening what Jesus says. It's the proof and the reality of what you believe. Your faith is lived out in a... Now, let's try to unpack context to figure out what kind of working Jesus is talking about. If you back up to the beginning of chapter 13, before he gets into the narrow door concept, you have two episodes which are, which are current events in their day, like headlines that everybody's talking about. One was the headlines about Pilate, the governor, the Roman governor of Judea, who is wicked from the Jewish standpoint, who retaliated against an insurrectionist, moved and actually sent troops into the temple during their worship service where they're offering sacrifices and he mingled the blood of Galileans with the blood of the sacrifices and killed people within their worship system. That's at the very outset of chapter 13. And then there's all this talk. Is it because they're evil? Is it because God doesn't approve? Why does God allow such horrific things to take place? Doesn't it sound like questions we're asking today? We ask these kinds of questions all the time when we can't figure out how tragedy takes place and how something that worshiping people are killed. Whoa! And we think, this is so unusual. God is not in control. Oh, Jesus doesn't even bother to answer that question. Here's how he answers their confusion. Jesus in... Luke 13, two through three, do you think that these Galileans were more sinful than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. So now we have this theme of repentance as being on the top of Jesus' thinking as it relates to all the tragedy in our world. Now we enter into another headlines of his day and it doesn't have to do with uh, evil people against people. Now they're talking about the 18 people that were killed by a tower that just happened to fall upon them and why did God allow this to happen? And they're wondering all about this. And he answers exactly the same way in verse five. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. So if we're to revisit that map, when we say that you hear and believe, that's not when you're certain. There's a living that corresponds, an amening to what you believe. Amen means, yes, I agree with you, Christ. Yes, I agree with what you're saying. He says, repent. In fact, his whole kingdom ministry was teaching about the kingdom of God, and he was calling people to repent because the kingdom is near. Repent is part of the the precondition to allow you to fit through a narrow door. Repentance means you have to drop the sin baggage because it won't fit through. And we'd rather hang on to the baggage and ask Jesus to forgive us so we can take our baggage with us as we follow him as king. And we're not amening or living up to what we believe if we are not repenting. 
What is repentance? Repentance is a U-turn. You're going in your life and your way and running your own life and doing your own lifestyle and trying to choose your way because whatever you decide is best for you. Repentance is saying yes to what God describes is what life is all about, what following him is like, and what, what he wants us to do as we live for him. And so it's a U-turn because it's 180 degrees, but means you, Y-O-U, turn. And it's not easy to do. And if you just think it's going to be easy to do, it just automatically happens. Jesus says, I said make every effort. Because if you do not make every effort to repent, you won't repent because repentance is hard. Repentance means I agree with your assessment of me. And within every sin, if you spell sin, is S lowercase, capital I, N lowercase. I loved Roy Hessian's book, The Calvary Road. I highly recommend it. Roy Hessian's book, The Calvary Road, where he talks about entering in through the door. It's not only narrow, he says, it's low. Because the strong, tall eye in the middle of sin cannot fit through this low door. This strong, tall eye in the middle of sin must bow before the king and agree with the king's assessment of our sin. And as you bow before the king, you bow low, and that eye becomes a sea. And the eye that is a sea now can enter in through the low door through humility, agreeing with Christ's assessment that we are sinners. We enter in through that door, and lo and behold, entering through that door means see, Christ enters into me. And when Christ is in me, I'm in his kingdom. I'm in his kingdom when Christ has been invited into me. And the only way in is by hearing, believing, repenting, which is part of that living. And it's not only repenting to get through the door. We discover that once you're through the door, the way is still narrow. And the narrow way is the way of repentance on a daily basis as needed. It's the lifestyle of an agreement with Christ that the way of sin is not the way of life. The way of humility and humbling ourselves before Christ and asking him to fill us up again because he says he will through the cross that he rushes in when we repent and agree with Christ's assessment of us and his assessment of the cross. Repentance. We must make every effort. And even repentance is a response to what he has done. It's not like we can repent our way in. It's not like we're putting a ladder against the wall and repenting our way in. No, it's just a yes agreement with your assessment, agreement with your prescription. Hearing, believing, living, 
knowing. Let me just give a couple of illustrations before we move on. Sometimes we think of repentance as simply saying, I'm sorry. I feel bad. There was a gentleman by the name of Felix who felt bad. He experienced conviction. He felt fear. He felt a great amount of fear as Paul was proclaiming the way of judgment, the way of life in his defense before Governor Felix. Felix then got scared, it says, according to Acts chapter 24. He became afraid about the judgment to come, but conviction is not the same thing. Fear and feelings are not the same thing as repentance because what did Felix do? He said, Paul, I want you to Tell me about this later. And he moved aside. I believe the door of opportunity never came again for Felix. We don't know this for certain, but I believe at that point when he was experiencing the fear of the proclamation of the kingdom and he knew about Christ and he knew about the way, he could have responded, but he felt the conviction, the spirit was working on his life and he just shut the door to the open door. I do not believe he ever came back to that point of conviction again. Just know this, feelings and fear and conviction are not the same thing as repentance. And neither is the statement, I have sinned. We think that's a confession. Confession is not the same thing as repentance. Pharaoh said, after the pressure was put on him and the plagues before him, he, he cries out to Moses and he says, I have sinned in the Exodus description of Pharaoh's response to the plague. And as soon as the pressure is removed from him, it says that he hardened his heart. And he kept hardening his heart from that point forward harder and harder and harder. So the door which was open to him, even though he confessed, it was not the same thing as repentance. I am sorry is not the same thing as repentance. I have sinned by confession in words is not the same thing as repentance. Repentance includes something that shows. It's not just a feeling. It's not just words. It's not even an admission of your feelings, I'm sorry. It's something that shows. And then in this chapter, we see this something, oh, before I move on, let's talk about Judas. Judas felt horrible about betraying Jesus. He threw the 30 pieces of silver, the price of betrayal. He goes into the people that gave him this and throws it back at them and he wants nothing to do with it but he had already crossed the line of no return and sin is having its way with him and even though he says, I, I you'd think that's repentance but it's just a confession and there was nothing that showed a true heart's turning. He just wanted the guilt removed. But his heart didn't know how to turn. He'd crossed the line and Satan had entered in and it destroyed him to the point of suicide. Scripture is very clear that Jesus came to give life. But the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You give your life over to the thief, and that's where it's headed. Turn while you can. 
Make every effort to turn. Make every effort to show that you're serious about dropping sin. Bow and bend. Agree with Jesus' assessment. This is how you get in to the door. Not on your agreement, but based on what Jesus does with your open heart before him. Repentance is a change that shows. I'm not going to read it, but in the same chapter, in chapter 13, he tells a story of a tree that's not bearing fruit. And the master says, just dig it up, get rid of it. And somebody says, no, let's fertilize a little bit longer, give it another chance. He says, okay, one year, that's it. It's almost like a picture of Jerusalem who's unrepentant before their Messiah. We're going to give it a little bit more time. But repentance that's real will show fruit. Without that fruit, it's just taking up space. And Jesus says, it's by your fruit that I, your king, will judge. We'd like him to judge by what we think is our intention. We want him to judge on some other basis. He says, make every effort to make sure this is real. You prove it by your fruit. So the door is open, the door is narrow, and then the door will be shut. Luke 13, 25 through 30 reads, once the homeowner gets up and shuts the door, then you will stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up for us. He will answer you, I don't know you or where you're from. Then you will say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. Then we will say, we ate ate and drank communion and you taught us in our churches. But he will say, I tell you, I don't know you or where you're from. Get away from me, all you evildoers. He's speaking of the fruit. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place when you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves thrown out. They will come from east and west, from north and south, to share the banquet in the kingdom of God. There's that open door again. It's going to be from every direction. It's not just going to be Jews. It's going to be Gentiles. It's global. And the banquet's going to be full. Won't it be awful? If you see it's full with everybody else that you thought would never be there and you are not there because of some theological construct that somebody's taught you to get in by saying sorry and living your own life as if Jesus was not king. By being the king of your own life and running your own will when he taught you to pray your kingdom come, your will be done where you bow to his kingdom, bow to his will, follow him as king. Aren't we talking about a kingdom and loyalty to the king? There's a story that's told of Louise who grew up with her mother who had been widowed. There was some tense times between them as she became a teenager and then towards the latter part of her teens, and Louise 
ran away. Broke her mother's heart. Her mother stayed up nights and cried and wept and always prayed that Louise would return. Had no idea where Louise had run off to. After months, she told her pastor about it. And they cried and prayed together. And then their pastor suggested, what if you could say something to her? What is it that you'd want her to hear? I'd simply want her to hear, come back. Come back. He says, that's it then. What I want you to do is take a picture of yourself. We'll make a whole bunch of prints, large, and I just want to print, come back, and we'll pray. And we'll put it everywhere the Spirit leads us to put it. And let's pray together. And so they did just that. And the pastor prayed. And they started thinking where she could be and began to just place it everywhere. And one evening, where Louise was on a path of destruction, saw a familiar face on a bulletin board. And she went up to the bulletin board and looked a little closer. Her mother looked older. Her mother looked sad. And she got close enough to read two words, come back. And it cut her to the heart. She stopped in her tracks and she knew she was not proud of the tracks she was in. She was making destruction of her life. She immediately did about faced and went straight back to her bags and packed her bags and headed home. She got to her home in the middle of the night and she thought, oh, I could. She went up to the door and was going to knock and she turned the knob. And it shocked her. And it opened. And she saw that her mother wasn't even in bed. She was weeping in her living room as she'd been doing so frequently, so many nights, praying for Louise. And they shared a warm embrace and shared tears. And after that moment of reconciliation, just without words, Louise said, Mom, why didn't you lock the door? This is not a safe neighborhood. Oh, honey, she said. This door has not been locked from the day you left. I was afraid that someday you would come back and I didn't want you to find this door shut and locked for fear that you wouldn't persist. It has always been open. And so we are today. While we have breath in our soul, the door is open. But someday, it will shut. And once it shuts, it is too late. And that mother's love is only just a drop compared to the love of the Father who sent His Son to shed His blood, to pay the penalty of your sin, who posts Himself before your spirit and says, come back. And if your heart is soft enough to want Him in your life, the door is open. It's time to drop the baggage it's time to say yes to Jesus. 
And I can tell you right now, while you're afraid to make changes, it's required. Make every effort to enter into the door. It's going to mean humbling yourself before God and saying, I'm sorry, but meaning it enough to keep looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus. That repentance and the posture of repentance is going to be repeated and repeated and repeated. So I urge you, make every effort. If you don't have the effort to hear from Jesus on a daily basis, start there. Start with a minute. Open his word. A minute a day, just open his word and start to hear him again. And let that grow. Say yes to what Jesus says. Say yes with your life. Say yes by obeying. And as you say yes, you're beginning to follow. Just keep it up and let that grow. And listen and listen and say yes. Be amening what Jesus says about your life and what he says about life forever and say yes to him and he says yes to you enter through the door and keep walking along the narrow way you're going to keep repenting there are steps to take I have sin in my life I keep saying yes to Jesus forgive me for this humble myself before him only if I humble myself before you will you be blessing me with grace and favor you stand opposed to the proud to the self-indulgence, to the self-absorption, to the self-centeredness, to the self-pity, to the self-justifying that is the caricature of my life apart from Christ. Say yes to Jesus and no to raising self to be strong and tall. He will not embrace that. Humble yourself before Jesus and say yes and enter in through the open door while you still can. Would you pray with me? Father God, I don't even have the ability to repent apart from your grace. But I open myself before you and look to you. It's going to look like effort from my standpoint, but it's all grace. It's what you do to work in, to receive me, to give grace to me, to help me to want to follow you. I humble myself before you. I let go of those things that do not please you. I agree with your assessment about my life. I need you. Would you be my savior? Would you begin the forever life? And would you keep that forever life strong and vibrant so that the fruit of life is demonstrated through you, in me, to your glory? It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you'd like prayer today, we'll have the prayer team to the left of the stage. And if you are a leader, I'd urge you to help me be there to pray for people that just need to express their repentance, to just say yes to Jesus, whatever it might be. If there's another need, whatever it might be, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's an illness, or maybe it's a weakness, whatever it might be, we'd be happy to pray with you. I can't wait to see you next week as we learn just how much God loves you. The title will be Search and Rescue. See you next week for the certainty.